Do you want to know who's the hottest president? Doesn't make you glow to learn sick cabello. reward you will earn if you spend some time with us we all dress like your dad and wear glasses we assure you it's not that bad with three dudes wearing glasses my name is Gus, and I'm wearing a giant band-aid on each of my forearms. My name is Mitchell, and I'm not wearing an orange plaid shirt. My name's Evan, and I'm not wearing an orange plaid shirt as well, I guess. <laughs> and we are three dudes wearing plaid. Every week on this show, we learn something brand new. The only catch is we have no idea what we're going to be learning about yet. Strangely evasive tonight, huh, gang? Here's the thing, Evan. For a split second, I was mad, but then I was just respectful because I was like, okay. We have subversion, more subversion, and the most subversive thing is to twist it around and do the same thing. So my, if I had a hat, I would be taking it off to you in respect. Well, Thank how you. are we to know whether or not you have a hat when you're clearly willing to just say whatever? This is a radio show in the early 2000s. You cannot see me. I don't think we've actually like said what we're really wearing for weeks. It's been lies no. since who knows Here's when. Here's the thing. I only brought so many clothes up here with me for the summer. If I said what I was wearing every time, it would sound like I only own two shirts and one dress. I mean, food. I've definitely worn this for recording before. The dialogue of whether or not we're telling the truth has been ongoing it's my favorite bit that we do that's not a bit <laughs> it's true speaking of things that aren't a bit would anybody like to ask me about my giant forearm band-aids yeah you know what i was i was going to but then i was like eh. i will inquire what's what's the deal damn great to know you care mitchell um Dude. thank you evan take hey everybody take a second thank an evan in your life doesn't have to be this one just any evan don't choose poorly, though. If you do, I will haunt you. So I was baking sticky buns today, and... Oh, no. Our oven door is apparently spring-loaded. What? Because I went to put the sticky buns into the oven so they could bake, you see. And I opened the oven door about halfway, and as I was putting the pan in, the oven door snapped shut on my arms. Ow. Oh. Ah. The hot metal oven door. And of course, I, I yeeted myself out of that situation as quickly as I could. But now I have, like, two giant red, like, slash marks, one on each of my arms from where Jeez the oven door made contact. And one of them was bad enough that it was essentially like an instant sunburn. As I was running it underwater, it started, you know how sunburns peel? Yeah. It started peeling. Ah! I hate that for you. Yeah, it's Dude. horrifying. I'm like genuinely very interested to see how they progress. Dude, that sucks. You didn't put a lighter or anything in there. Well, I suppose that would go the other way, right? What? What? Ah, uh, see, this is an unfortunate position because I don't, because I don't want to up like one-up your unfortunate story with my hilarious story, but I want to no, tell this do. story. No, please do. Tell this story. I feel like I told this story off the show to one or both of you. 
I was like 13 or 14 and looking after my younger brother who could not stay at home alone, who really wanted to make a fire. And I was like, we can't be having that because I don't want to be responsible for that. And in retrospect, the best idea would have been to just let him go light the fire because he kind of knew what he was doing because he was a little pyromaniac goblin. But I was like, I, it was this like cat, it was this like keep away game with the lighter. I'm like, I don't want to do this all night. I have homework to do. So I'm like, I need to hide this lighter, but I hid it somewhere and he found it immediately. So I was like, where would I, where can I hide this? That no one will ever look for it. And so I went, of course, I'm not using the oven for anything. I'll just put this plastic-ass barbecue lighter in the oven. And then later, I went to go heat up some dinner in the oven, forgot about the lighter, walked by as I turned it on to 400, and a couple minutes later, the lighter exploded. There was a flash of white light, and the door went bang. I'm, like, trying not to explode it on the mic. And it just, like, flopped open like a like a, like a a demon. And my father still keeps that lighter in a drawer as a monument to my hubris. <laughs> Holy was, shit! It was objectively hilarious. But also, like... No one got hurt, so... I'm so glad your family's all still alive, because that makes that the funniest fucking oven-based story I've ever heard. <laughs> yes. It's the, it was the least, like, the, not least dangerous, but, like, least injuring oven-based misfortune story that you'll ever hear. <laughs> you, all of you, everyone listening, I can guarantee that. I think what you should have done is just set up an elaborate, like, scavenger hunt for mm. him to try to find the lighter, but then just, like, kept it on on your person without telling him so that like he would have you know followed the clues and maybe had to look in the oven you know like i don't know why i'm yeah. describing to you what a scavenger hunt is you know <laughs> i i mean i i'm pretty sure i know i've done a fair bit you know the best entertainment for a kid is just like spend a lot of time making clues so that you can distract them as they run around seems like a great way to have fun whose idea was it to have scavenger hunts I'm a big fan, but also not a fan now that I've had to design them. Well, Mitchell, oh. funny you should ask, because gossip columnist Elsa Maxwell popularized scavenger hunts in the United States with a series of exclusive New York parties starting in the early 1930s. But according to game scholar Marcus Montola, scavenger hunts evolved from ancient folk games. Do they say what ancient folk games? Nope, they just say the words ancient folk games. Here, there's it links to a New Yorker article called The Hunter Games, which I'm huh. going to read now, but it's a New Yorker article, so it's going to take me a hot second. A lot of literary nonsense and putting umlauts over the second vowel. If you will permit me to talk a little bit while you're reading this New Yorker article about Elsa Maxwell, the uh, credited inventor of the scavenger hunt, or at least according to her Wikipedia page, the Introducer of the scavenger hunt and treasure use as party games in the modern era. Ooh. Huh. She was a gossip columnist, author, songwriter, screenwriter, radio personality, and professional hostess. She had a radio program, Elsa Maxwell's Party Line, as well as start in several films, including Rhapsody in Blue, which is actually like kind of famous. Wait, the film Rhapsody, the in, film Blue? Rhapsody in Blue? The film Rhapsody in Blue, the Gershwin one. Huh. Oh my god. Yeah. I'm on, the, I'm on her Britannica page, and apparently she left San Francisco in 1905 as an odd jobs girl in a Shakespearean troupe, and subsequently appeared in vaudeville and, for a time, in South African music halls. 
I assume they mean, like, in an American city, but maybe just in South Africa. According to her Wikipedia page, she became interested in parties and doing, like, crazy games and stuff because as a child, her family was very poor and so they weren't invited for parties. And so in order to make, like, herself very interesting and exciting and, like, get invited to actual parties, especially those hosted by the rich, she started developing elaborate staged games and uh, diversions for parties, including treasure hunt parties, come-as-your-opposite parties, (laughs) and I, uh, a scavenger hunt in Paris in 1927 that inadvertently created disturbances all over the city, which I'm going to look into. Oh my god, wait a minute. This lady is awesome. Yeah. Talking about 19, early, early aughts. By the end of World War I, she was giving parties for royalty and high society throughout Europe. <clears throat> she organized the international motorboat races at the Lido in Venice, and in 1926, under the auspices of the Prince of Monaco, planned the Monte Carlo Beach Club, the Casino Hotel, and the He's seen restaurants of Monte Carlo. Oh my god. This lady just planned all that. What? She's an icon. Elsa Maxwell is an icon. Born in Iowa in 1883. Came up out of nowhere to be like a a more fun female Jay Gatsby. I mean, it's not hard to be more fun than Jay Gatsby. (laughs) Yeah, he did just kind of sulk about, didn't he? So I am unable to find out more information about this 1927 Paris party, except for the fact that the reward for winning was a gallon of perfume by Patu. But I can't find any more information about the actual disturbances. Why would you need a gallon of perfume? Now, I finished reading the New Yorker article. Uh Uh-huh. And it doesn't seem to bear any resemblance to the thing it was cited as saying. Oh, Uh, fucking... Which I'm disappointed in you, Wikipedia, but it is a sick-ass article because it is about the University of Chicago's annual scavenger hunt known as SCAV to you Chicago students. This is an article by Patricia Marks from 2012 about just the existence of this batshit insane U Chicago tradition. It's very U Chicago. Okay. On the 2012 list of like clues and things people had to do and find, mm-hmm. it was a list of 351 items. Jesus. What? That's huge. It filled 19 pages and consisted of such challenges as build a 10 foot bridge across Botany Pond using nothing but balsa wood and glue, revamp a Xerox machine for office warfare. Secure a meeting with the mayor of Chicago. Produce a scale model of the Great Lakes out of fire. Solve this code. Build a laptop charger using only materials available in the 16th century. Persuade a religious leader to follow you on Twitter. 5, 10, or 15 points, depending on whether the leader is known locally, nationally, or globally. Get the Pope to follow <laughs> Introduce you. Introduce the judges in person <laughs> to a published eschatologist. Bring your appendix in a jar. What? <laughs> this man. I'm gonna get my appendix removed for a bit. Yeah. I mean, they don't, here's the thing, they don't give you, my friend had his appendix removed, they don't give you your appendix back. (laughs) You gotta, I'm trying to track down this, because I'm I'm finding, like, like a Smithsonian article and a different, like, blog article talking about, it's the same Marcus Montola line, who's a scholar of ludology, the study of games. And is I'm not going to read his whole paper, Pervasive Games and Ludic Society. That's too long. I don't think it's the origin of it either. Apparently, the most I can find about this without reading his whole dang book says that scavenger hunts likely come alongside treasure hunts where, you know, thank you for explaining this to me, cityhunt.com, participants would search for a valuable item in the treasure hunts. So in case you weren't aware of, you know, the point of a treasure hunt. Okay. I have just found something absolutely wild. Yes. It is called Gish Wes, or the uh, greatest international scavenger hunt the world has ever seen. Oh, Gish Wishes. Gish Wishes. The fucking Misha Collins. Exactly. I'm incredibly shook. What is this? God, oh wait, no shit. I'm gonna cut that out. I'm outing myself. Oh. As a former supernatural fan. Oh. No. 
What is Gishwashishwashish? As someone who has watched one episode of Supernatural and is not familiar with the oeuvre of Misha Collins, Misha Collins went to the University of Chicago where he played in the University of Chicago scavenger hunt, and he decided to create a giant scavenger hunt played all over the world based off of the U Chicago scavenger hunt. So a list is posted on the website of Gishwishes listing 150 different tasks. I Once I get off the Wikipedia page, I'll try to see some more other ones. And then basically it's just like the U Chicago one where you'd go do the tasks, you send stuff back to uh, Misha Collins, and then at the end you win such exciting prizes as a trip to Scotland for a slumber party with Misha Collins, oh. or a trip to Vancouver for a quote-unquote Viking surprise. I don't want to know what that is. A Viking surprise, you say? Oh! They just like, it's just they run a 23 in me, and they're like, you're a Viking, good job. Oh my god, looking at this acronym made me forget what English words is. It is really just gish Yep. Okay, this is weird, because it says right here on the Wikipedia that its participants in 2016 were 55,000. I don't know if we've decided. We did a whole episode on world records. Did we decide that Guinness World Records is like the arbiter of a world record? You know, we didn't actually come to a decision on that point. Well, according to Guinness World Records, who you may or may not believe, that's at your discretion, apparently the largest scavenger hunt ever consisted of 2,732 participants and was uh, organized by Escape Manor Incorporated in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada in 2017. Mm. Although the next paragraph says more than three thousand participants took part in the scavenger hunt so what the what guinness can't keep their records straight they've been having too much of the other guinness but um guinness gay records <laughs> you did it but thank but, um, you but um gus do the do a do a comedy like drum fill do the thing where i tell you i ask you to do something very nicely kindly and then you just prank me by having me vocalizing it in there but um the fuck no i no he's right i've done that to him before this is happening times. It's a fun editing trick that I do. Have y'all heard of Forrest Fenn? No. Sounds badass and also ecologically questionable. He's a man. Forrest Fenn, born in 1930, died in 2020, was a pilot in the United States Air Force. Oh. But he is not famous for that. Oh. He is famous for, in 1988, getting diagnosed with cancer, given a prognosis that it was likely terminal, and thus being inspired to hide a treasure chest in an outdoor location with the purpose of creating a public search for it. Huh. He recovered from cancer, uh-huh. and in 2010 published a memoir about short stories from his life, but also about this treasure chest that he had hidden. He said it contained gold nuggets, rare coins, jewelry, and gemstones. He hid the chest in the mountains somewhere north of Santa Fe. And he said that the stories in his memoir included hints to the chest's location, and that the poem found in the chapter Gold and More contained nine clues that would lead a searcher to the chest. This prompted a scavenger hunt in the Rocky Mountains of New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, and Montana. The value of the chest was estimated to be as high as $2 million, depending on the appraisal of the items. Okay. And so people were looking for this since 2010. Five people died while searching for the treasure. Oh my god. This led the New Mexico State Police to publicly implore Fenn to end the treasure hunt. Because, you know, they were traipsing all over the Rockies. They were going in the in the tall mountains. And on June 6th, 2020, just a few months before he passed away, Fenn posted on the searcher blog, Thrill of the Chase, that the treasure had been found. What? A guy okay. found the treasure. Okay. Jack Stuff? 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 
Jack Stiff. A medical student from Michigan revealed that he had found Fenn's treasure chest and decided to disclose his identity by going public in an interview with Outside. Due to safety reasons, he preferred to stay anonymous, but a lawsuit was expected to reveal his identity. Oh my god. And he revealed that two small items indicated in pre-fine publicity were not present in the chest. There was no small gold frog on a necklace, and there was also no Spanish emerald ring. Damn it! I was waiting for that frog. Forrest Fenn was not able to find the missing emerald ring, but he was able to locate the frog within his collection and present it to Stoyf. Okay, that's good. He wasn't just lying. He was only kind of lying. Yeah. For a moment there, I was worried that that was going to zag into, like, straight up evil villain. What comes to mind is the, the villain from Up, although that's not at all what we're talking about. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, big evil villain, ha ha ha, from I, I orchestrate the... This maddened search for something, something. But you know what? I'm glad that somebody found it. Yeah, I'm also glad that somebody found it, especially because if no one had, and I had heard about this while it was still going on, you can mm. guarantee fucking tea I would have dropped everything to go treasure hunting. Yes. Also, I've got I've got the poem, Fen's treasure poem, up on my screen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is it how long is it? One, two, three, four, five, six stanzas. Okay. The first is just an introduction. Gotta introduce your poem. No one's ever seen a poem. So it then gives you seemingly step-by-steps for your journey. Begin at where warm waters halt and take it in the canyon down. Not far, but too far to walk. Put in below the home of brown. From there it's no place for the meek. The end is drawing ever nigh. There'll be no paddle up your creek, just heavy loads and water high. If you've been wise and found the blaze, look quickly down your quest to cease. But tarry scant with marvel gaze. Just take the chest and go in peace. And, you know, there's more to it, but those seem to be the, the three stanzas where the clues are concentrated. Mm-hmm. That's the style. All right, then. And you know what? There's a quote here in this, this Smithsonian Magazine article, which is entitled, <clears throat> Before Pokemon Go, these scavenger hunts were all the rage. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's Smithsonian Magazine. What do you want from me? Something better? Not to sound like a teenager? Danny Lewis in 2016 wrote, Apparently, there's this quote from a lady called named Cynthia Meacham, who's a retiree who had spent years looking for Fenn's treasure. This was, I guess, before it was found. And she said, I have actually seen some of the most spectacular scenery because of this. That I, I presume the quote is, I never would have seen, but Danny mistyped, so, than I ever would have seen. So good for you, Cynthia. I'm glad you had a good time. And I'm sorry, you didn't find the treasure. Oh, who, who knows? Maybe she's an asshole. So I'd like to return for a second to Elsa Maxwell and her popularization of the scavenger hunt. Because there's a Vanity Fair article called How to Throw a Party According to the Most Legendary Hosts of Classic Hollywood. It's by Patrick Monaghan. And it has Elsa Maxwell on here. In the Elsa Maxwell section, it includes some items from her scavenger hunt. Items oh. included. Music Hall star Mistinget's shoe. A black swan from the Bois de Boulogne. The red pom-pom on a French seaman's hat. Notice I said seaman because I'm being very careful. Before it was over, the music hall star had to Oh, because enter- seaman. That's yes, why. Yes, Wow, Mitchell, uh, I'm so proud. Thank before you, Before the scavenger hunt was over, the music hall star had to entertain barefoot at the Casino de Paris. A ferocious swan sent two people to the hospital, and interior decorator Elsie DeWolf, wife of British diplomat Sir Charles Mendel, was accused of theft by the French Navy. Oh my- my God, I have immunity. This is so <laughs> iconic. 
Like, I know it was the 1920s and people could just do whatever. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. But, like, imagine scavenger hunts aren't, like, a popular, normalized thing, and you're a music hall star, and people just run up to you demanding your shoes? People just people just running around stealing shit. I, I'm more surprised. I initially thought, like, Black Swan. I don't know. My, my mind was thinking, like, the ballet. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Or, or Swan Lake, Natalie Portman, blah, blah, blah. No, they actually meant a Black Swan. So someone had to wrestle one of those things. That's terrifying, objectively. Yes. Props to whoever did that. They had to go to the future and kidnap Natalie Portman. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, if you will permit me, I would like to talk for a little bit about the uh, 1936 film, My Man Godfrey. Evan, you and I are sharing a brain cell. Uh, I'm looking at the poster for it right now. Yes. Woo! So, My Man Godfrey is a film which satirizes the entire craze of scavenger hunts amongst rich socialites in New York City. And the whole point of this film is that there's a bunch of rich people and they're doing a scavenger hunt and one of the items on the scavenger hunt is a uh, quote-unquote forgotten man basically an unhoused person and one of the socialites named cornelia bullock meets this guy named godfrey godfrey of course my man godfrey my man the whole film is essentially after finding him they fall in love and a bunch of other events happen that i haven't taken the time to read about because they seem boring it's a 19 you know it's a 1936 screwball comedy which means it's dry as a bone but anyways, that happened. And it was remade in 1957. Because, of course, you know, the, the renaissance of scavenger hunts, I guess. Uh-huh. Sorry. I, we, we keep, this is a very, like, loopy episode and that we keep looping back to That's stuff. That's fine. I'm getting, I was getting stuck on this one paper title by Marcus Montola and also Yako Stenrose and, and Franz Mayra called Pervasive Games in Ludic Society, which is one of those titles that's short and has a bunch of words that I don't understand, like games and in. But evidently... <laughs> Ludic is just refers to ludology, but also maybe like Finnish society? What? Ludic society is a thing. I think it just means games. It comes from the Latin for game. Ah, very good, very good. You know what? I always like uh, giving you guys a platform to talk about Latin. But anyway, <laughs> a perva- scavenger console an example of a pervasive game, which is where the gaming experience is extended out to the real world. Ooh. In this case, you're literally going into the world to find stuff. This is talking mostly about video games, but it technically counts. Hey, speaking of real world, going out into the real world to find stuff, scavenger hunts, I'm going to talk about geocaching. Yeah. Oh yeah, baby. Which is an outdoor recreational activity in which participants use a GPS and other navigational techniques to hide and seek containers called caches at specific locations marked by coordinates all over the world. Mm. Interestingly, it's, you know, it's not like clues based you literally just get the coordinates of the item and then the fun is in going there yeah 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 but gps technology is only so precise so even getting the exact spot on earth where something is hidden doesn't necessarily make it super easy to find mm-hmm. yeah the fun part about this wikipedia page is that it has the history of geocaching uh-huh the very first one took place on may 3rd 2000 it was placed by dave ulmer of beaver creek oregon the location was posted on the usenet news group sci.geo.satellitenav with the coordinates and within three days the cache had been found twice it's normal for there to be like a logbook for 
for people to sign to prove they found it. Mm -hmm. And according to Dave Ulmer's message, this cache was a black plastic bucket that was partially buried and contained software, videos, books, money, a can of beans, and a slingshot. The geocache and most of its contents were eventually destroyed by a lawnmower. The can of beans was the only item salvaged and was turned into a trackable item called the original can of beans! (laughs) The original can! O-C-O-B! I'm gonna start geocaching just for that! (laughs) Gotta find the beans! Oh my god, that's amazing. I was about to say, oh, this just sounds like a nerdier version of letterboxing. Well, it is. Well, yeah. A letterboxing is just the lemur, low-tech version of this. But the beans have redeemed it. Hey, and y'all know how I get overwhelmed by Wikipedia pages with big lists of hyper-specific things? Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. I, I would've... I, it kind of surprises me, because we just looked at a lot of Wikipedia pages, but go on. Geocache types. Uh-huh. Traditional multicache, mystery puzzle caches, challenge caches, night cache, chirp cache, where a go, letterbox, moving traveling, guestbook, bit, virtual, earth, locationless or reverse, webcam, USB, event, Cash in trash out events. <laughs> this is I'm not surprised that it's this complex. I am surprised that they've broken it down this far by type. Considering that the, it only started in 2000, yeah. Yeah, for for example, mystery puzzle caches require one to discover information or solve a puzzle to find the cache. Separately, right. reverse caches are similar to a scavenger hunt. A description is given for something to find and the finder locates an example of this object, which these are not the same thing. No, but, but it's weird that they did two like they did the two halves of scavenger hunts but did not put them together yeah it's it's a it seems like a a newton leibniz situation but for um, something that's nothing like calculus that and also for something that was invented after scavenger hunts yeah this is not a knock on geocaching this seems cool as hell yes well i mean i was getting ready to tee up a knock on geocaching i got my i got my knocking stick right here (laughs) but uh but the you saved by the skin of your beans geocaching the original can of beans the ocb as it's known in the geocaching fandom has its own facebook page just a little while ago on august the 1st there was the original can of beans chili cook-off and 20th birthday celebration in the simi valley in california celebrating of course sweet the 20th birthday of both geocaching and the original can of beans (laughs) god i god i love humanity we're so dumb we're like from apparently ancient folk games to the 1920s to now we've just been doing dumb clue-based finding of shit and with that i will ask what have we learned nay what have we discovered today Whoa! uh we learned that scavenger hunts as we know them now although they may have roots in ancient games, as proposed by Marcus Montola in his book, Pervasive Games Theory and Design, they were popularized by Elsa Maxwell, who was a really a cool lady, self-made singer and uh, entertainer and socialite in the 1920s and sparked a whole crazy craze of debauchery. Elsa Maxwell is perhaps most famous for her 1927 Paris scavenger hunt, which is apparently crazy, and some of the things that needed to be found included a back swan and the shoe of a very famous singer lady. Scavenger hunts have only been getting crazier throughout the years, as evidenced by U Chicago's Scav, which in 2012 included 319 items on the list, including items to find and challenges to complete. They had to build balsa wood bridges. One guy was dressed up as Dr. Frankenfurter for 48 straight hours. It gets crazy over there at U Chicago. And I I want in, but I also kind of feel very bad for them that, like, this is the way that they have to unwind, you know? 
This is how they have fun at Chicago. <laughs> it does seem fun, but it also seems absolutely bonkers. Because, you know, scavenger hunts have been around for a long time. We had to step up our game collectively. There are online versions of scavenger hunts you can do, including, God, what is this acronym? Gwishes. Gishwishes. Gishwishes, shit. I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this. Mm-hmm. Misha Collins's Gishwishes. <laughs> <laughs> which was a publicity stunt for Supernatural, but now is like a big old media scavenger hunt that's been running since 2011. And I guess it's online, which is why it doesn't count for the largest scavenger hunt, which was at an escape house or escape manor in Canada in 2017. Perhaps the most intense scavenger hunt and the one with the highest death toll is that of Forrest Fenn, who, uh, thinking he was terminally ill, planted a treasure somewhere in the Rocky Mountains over 20 years. It was eventually found just last year, 2020, but over that time, over five people died searching for it, and the New Mexico police asked Mr. Fenn to please stop because it was very deadly. And the film, My Man Godfrey? Film, yes. The media experience, My Man Godfrey, <laughs> parodies the rich New York socialites' obsession with scavenger hunts and the insane things that scavenger hunts can lead people to do, which, you know what, if you come away from this podcast with one takeaway, it's that scavenger hunts are fun. But don't let that fool you. <laughs> <laughs> An ominous ending. I have thoroughly enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please share it with a friend. If you hate the show, please steal its shoes so it has to perform barefoot. And either way, follow us on Instagram at 3DWPcast. I'm Gus. I'm Mitchell. And I'm Method. And this has been Three Dudes Wearing Plaid. Have a great day. Next time on Three Dudes Wearing Plaid. Oh yeah, like a middle schooler just absolutely tore me a new one. They did the like, snap my fingers in a Z formation thing. I was devastated. God, when they do that, you just can't recover. You can't. You get thrown 30 feet back into a, a, a pile of, a pile of trash cans. <laughs> Not bags, just cans. Where did they come from, the trash cans? Where did I, they I go? I presume... Where did they come from, Cotton Eye Joe? Find out next week on Three Dudes Wearing Plaid. Thank mm-hmm. you.